Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. All right, welcome to another edition of the Conference USA Underdog Podcast on underdogdynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. Hope everybody's January is going smoothly. Hope you're keeping to those uh, New Year's resolutions, or maybe not. I mean, at a certain point, it's a pandemic. Who cares? Like, just just take care of you and make sure you are uh, living life as, as well as you can right now. Uh, Joe Londrigan and Eric Henry here with you as always. Excited to dive into uh, some news about FIU building out their staff as well as uh, some transfer portal talk. Never a shortage of that, uh, it seems, nowadays uh, with some key quarterbacks coming into CUSA East and uh, UAB gets a, a really critical deep threat back uh, for their 2022 campaign. But uh, Eric, it is good to talk to you, man. It's uh, It's been fun. And um, I don't think we've recorded since my birthday, actually, have we? No, I don't believe so. I think the last time we recorded, yeah, because we, we actually had some site you know, some site uh, issues, site affairs, nothing major. I shouldn't say issues. It sounds if like it was negative, just some, you know, general co-managing editor responsibilities to tend to. And mm-hmm. that's when I when I knew it was your birthday. So no, we have not talked so um, for the benefit of the listeners. Happy birthday, even though we know it is past. Uh, what you what you what you get into, man? I know the the almost of the girlfriend slash fiance. Let's try this again. The wife got you uh, a nice little gift, right? She did. She did. Uh, she uh, took me out to lunch and uh, she got me uh, some tickets to uh, see uh, a band in, in Ghost, um, which some of our, our metal fans, which we've established are in our audience, definitely. Uh, so I can talk about that on, on next week's show. Um, that's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, I think I saw my future at a Buffalo Wild Wings in suburban Portland, Eric. Um, so we went to, to B-dubs for lunch, uh, of course, during the, the NFL playoffs. And there was this guy there with, I'm assuming his daughter, and was like in his late 50s, white guy, had jeans, a polo shirt, and suspenders, and was just crushing strawberry daiquiris watching the NFL playoffs. And I was like, that's probably going to be me in about... 25 30 years just killing a saturday at buffalo wild wings splitting a chicken wrap and just <laughs> i don't know why your go-to at a sports bar at a buffalo wild Wings specifically is a strawberry daiquiri but hey who am i to judge that guy was enjoying his life that day i can't judge but I, <laughs> if i were which secretly i am i don't know what i'm judging more the fact that that is going to be your future in 20 years or it's the strawberry daiquiris because if you go to beat ups for strawberry daiquiri that's just Listen, you're talking to someone, Joe, who is very not ashamed of liking, quote unquote, I say this with air quotes, chick drinks, right? Like I 
bartended in a previous life, you know, through through uh, undergrad and grad school, and I worked at a cocktail bar, right? So I have no issue with with a little, uh, 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 you know, a cocktail that comes in a flute or, uh, you know, a different type of cocktail glass. But uh, strawberry daiquiri to, at B-dubs? Nah, man. Nah. Please don't do that, Joe. I'll stop you. <laughs> you know what? I, I will agree that strawberry daiquiris at Buffalo Wild Wings, probably not the move. But I will agree that as I get older, I get less and less ashamed about my food preferences, specifically, and my beverage preferences. And as we've established, I probably need to stick to uh, the fruitier drinks because bourbon makes me black out, <laughs> which uh, that's that's a story for a previous episode of the podcast, if you haven't heard that already. But well, <laughs> yeah, so I, we, I agree. Really quick. And we plan to kind of, you know, do our zany, you know, kind of banter about another topic. But I got to follow up on this one. Sure. We've talked about food on this podcast a lot. And listen, if anyone wants to sponsor us, we are, we'll take it. We'll, um, as Butch Davis said, players get NIL. Uh, so players uh, get NIL and pro- programs get NIL as well. Podcasts uh-huh. get NIL as well. So I'm not opposed to any sponsorships. However, getting the strawberry daiquiri at B-dubs, right? You know you're just getting some half-ass mix uh, it's, it's, it's just, the strawberry daiquiri at b-dubs is the same as getting the food at applebee's it, it's it's sapped in a microwave for six and a half to seven and a half minutes on medium high and just tossed out to you it's the same concept if i had to guess the strawberry daiquiri at b-dubs is vodka ice and like strawberry nesquik and that's pretty <laughs> much it that's quick that's a great reference (laughs) (laughs) oh man but um you know speaking of like fun chance encounters in the wild um you were doing some social media browsing that led you to think of some some odd encounters you've had recently right yeah, well, I, I can't say recently. They didn't have them recently, but just, you know, i huge fan of, sure. of Sarah Spain from ESPN, and I'm biased. Sarah actually helped me when I was a young grad student. She helped me out uh, with an interview twice. You know, I needed uh, an interview for grad school. And Joe, you you know the you know the deal. Needing You get hit with that project last minute, and they're like, go find someone. And, and it, I ended up getting Sarah Spain, so I got to thank her enough. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a fan of hers as is, but was on her Twitter, and... Um, and she talked about just random chance encounters, be it living in LA in the early 2000s, around to Paris Hilton and you know, Mike Tyson and, and others. And this led me to think back to some random encounters. And obviously, I don't have any of that magnitude, right? Um, but uh, I'm thinking of 2007, 2008, me would have loved to run to Paris Hilton. That would have been interesting. But nevertheless, I, I think I have two that stick out. One is being at UCF. And this was my senior year or junior year i'm trying to remember but taco fall had just gotten to campus and obviously this is before he is now you know the taco fall for for those you may not know taco fall uh, former boston celtic i think he's with cleveland now but he's known for being extremely tall joe uh seven seven are you familiar with taco fall oh yes oh yes. okay just make just make it short so uh so the it, this was just hilarious moments one of those things where i think you can envision it everyone's been to college and been in the small dorm room and whatnot and uh you know we're at a house party and everyone's hanging out and then all of a sudden we just see this mass of humanity duck his head underneath the door and then get in and his head is probably three inches maybe two inches from the roof and it's taco fall and i just think the moment that we knew it was like oh man this is just such a random college encounter is 
we all were in one of the rooms just packed in watching a fight uh and for some reason the, the tv in the living room wasn't working so it was like 25 of us packed into one of the bedrooms and taco legit just kind of stuck his hands out from one arm from one length to the other and could have touched both walls so that was was funny and um i just some other chance encounters in, in chicago you know scotty pippen coming in buying out the bar the that was always really fun um chicago's weird in that you get celebrities who live there but they're pretty low-key right so they don't really um I mean, the cast of Chicago Fire, Chicago PD coming in. I, I think another one, to bring it back to a college football realm, because I know you're going to keep in the football realm. Barry Alvarez, one of the nicest men I've ever met. And this was before I was working in sports. I, I was still uh, working at a bar, bartending at the time. And Barry Alvarez, like it's, Joe, it's the Big Ten Media Days, circa 2016, I want to say. So if you can imagine the lineup of Big Ten coaches are there, you got the Urban Myers, the Lovey Smith, of course, used to coach with the Bears. So he's, you know, he knows the city. Um, I, Harbaugh, like the run of the Big Ten coaches. And um, Barry Alvarez just was there and couldn't have been any nicer. I mean, we were there trying to make our way through, like in between their space and, and get back to the bar and we were busting stuff because they bought out the entire area, right? So we did, we're all, you know, get passing out drinks and things of that nature. And no one else could have paid us any mind. But Barry Alvarez, like, stepped out of the way. It was like, no, you go first. And I was like, thank you, coach. We should have a nice conversation. So uh, that's one that stands out to mind in the uh, college football realm. Nice. That's, that's always a pleasant surprise when you meet people in a public setting who are, you know, famous or notorious or whatever. And they're just nice people. That's always a pleasant surprise. Um, I've had a few of those myself. Um, one that's neutral, but just funny. Um, when I was a freshman, actually, at I, I did my freshman year at the University of South Carolina, and that also happened to be uh, the same year that uh, Jadavian Clowney entered the South Carolina football program um, after being the number one recruit. So he was somewhat famous. And at freshman orientation, actually, I was walking along like they, you know, they walk you around the campus and show you where like the main buildings are, where all the freshman classes are. And... Uh, he's walking next to myself and one other guy. And he says, like, where are you all going? And I said, you know, English Lit 101, you. He said, I have no idea. And then he just kind of split off from the group and went and did his own thing. <laughs> so that was my, like, 10-second interaction with Judavian Clowney. I, when I was a part of student media there, I also pitched a thing where I basically wanted him to tackle me on the on the turf. And they said no because they didn't want him to hurt me which I guess in retrospect, I appreciate. Um, and then my other one in a, in a past uh, position, um, I guess this isn't really in the wild because it was for a football writing thing, but I interviewed um, Gerald McCoy, who uh, former Oklahoma defensive lineman, I believe he's with the Panthers now, but at the time he was with the Bucks, And I was supposed to interview him about this charitable project and it was on Zoom. And he opens up Zoom and he's in his man cave and it is decked head to toe in superhero memorabilia, like Batman, mm. Spider-Man, all this yeah. stuff. And that's all I talked to him about for like half an hour. And he was just super pumped to talk about how much he loved Batman and like what he thought of like Robert Pattinson getting cast in the new one just was all about it. 
And we maybe spent like five minutes talking about his charitable project. And then he was just like, man, it was really good to talk to you. All right. Like <laughs> just was super j- nicest guy, super jazzed to talk about superheroes with me. But then I got an email from his agent later that was like, what was that? You didn't talk about <laughs> the thing with him at all. And I was like, all right, my bad. <laughs> but like, I don't know. That was, that was fun. Jerome McCoy is a good guy. No, it's funny you mentioned that, Joe, because obviously living here in Tampa, I, mm-hmm. I, uh, known Gerald not not known personally but I I know of his like of superheroes right like that's been something that if you followed the Bucks you you knew that so I, I did I did actually uh know of his love of superheroes I didn't know that you had that encounter though so it's pretty sweet um and staying in the state of Florida I will we'll get to some CUSA talk here now uh, as I'm sure most people were waiting for us to do <laughs> uh, but <laughs> FIU football uh Mike McIntyre I think there's a lot of reason to be optimistic about the hires that he and Scott Carr have made in this coaching staff. Uh, A few days ago, we had David Yost uh, come in as the QB coach slash offensive coordinator. Now you also got Ricky Brumfeld in there as the special teams coordinator. And uh, the most recent one, Jovan DeWitt, uh, Jovan DeWitt rather, he's going to be the defensive coordinator for FIU. Uh, Of course, back in the day played at, Northern Michigan um, and was uh, in the arena league for a little bit. Uh, of course, the Iowa Barnstormers, the Orlando Predators, the Fargo Freeze. Oh, man, that's taking me back. Uh, but anyway, was most recently the uh, outside linebackers coach as well as a uh, special teams coach for North Carolina as well as Nebraska. Uh, and then going back was also at UCF in 2016-2017. Pretty uh, key, <laughs> couple key years for them there. Uh, but now uh, his uh, first defensive coordinator job uh, at the D1 level or at the FBS level, I should say. He was the defensive coordinator in Northern Iowa back in 2011. But uh, yeah, excited to see where this goes. And I think one of the big things that people are just excited about with FIU football, Eric, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is just there's actually a sense of like optimism built around. And kudos to uh, Scott Carr and Mike McIntyre for uh, the effort that they put into these hires and the process of doing that. It is an interesting time at FIU, Joe. I do have to admit, first things first, when you talk about some of the hires here, it's interesting a lot of the fans, when they had some of the consternation about the Mike McIntyre hire, one of the points that, I mean, I don't want to make it seem like I was the only person who made this point, but myself and a couple others, were that one of the benefits you would think you'd have with hiring Mike McIntyre, someone who's a veteran coach, is that they should be able to assemble a fairly experienced staff somewhat quickly, right? As opposed to if you go with a first-time head coach or in some circumstances, one of the, one of the, main candidate, someone who had only really coached in one other stop, right? You don't have that that Rolodex of names to go through and say, hey, you know, I've spent some time with this person. He builds connections and relationships. So I do think that is paying off here with FIU. And the second part of it, before I talk about the name specifically, I've personally requested, as I would and have before from FIU, uh, I have FOIA, Freedom of Information Act, the contracts of Mike McIntyre and Scott Carr, because I've been interested in what the budget is a, is it at least on par with what Butch Davis was given, or is it higher, right? And in specificity, one of the reasons I want to get that information, it still hasn't been sent back to me yet, is the assistant salaries pool, Joe, is you know this, but I'm sure many of our listeners do, but for those who are you know uninitiated, each coach has given us a certain pool, right, for 
assistance. And that can vary, you know, certain CUSA schools are on the lower side of things, certain CUSA schools on the higher side of things in, in relation to the conference. And FIU, depending on who you ask, it has been noted as to be under Butch Davis in terms of the higher end of things, right? Now, of course, some of that is subjective because not each school is public and so on and so forth, right? My point is, I think having the ability, and part of that is financial as well, to go out and hire a full staff and at FIU, Joe, and this is not uncommon in very many G5s, it's very common for your coordinators to also double as a position coach, right? Whereas if you go to some of the higher level P5s, that's not the case. You have a, sometimes you may have an offensive coordinator who's a quarterback's coach because of the, the you know, similar, not similarities, but the, the melding of the two positions, right? How the synergy between one and the other. But there are many situations where you have each position has its own specified coach and your coordinators are your coordinators. At FIU, every year since I've covered the team, your coordinators have doubled as a certain position coach. And we'll see how that plays out at FIU this year. David Yost, you talk about him, comes in from Texas Tech, uh, was relieved after the 2020 year, but um, certainly has an excellent pedigree as a coordinator. You know, Coach Blaine Gabbard spent a lot of time in Missouri, then went to Utah State, Coach Jordan Love, and then had the stint at Texas Tech under Matt Wells. Of course, he worked at it, Utah State. He will also coach the quarterback. So, he has a pedigree and someone who's known for running a, a very high, uh, uh, high tempo, up paced, uh, high paced, up tempo. Try that again. Uh, RPO system. So that should be interesting to see how that that plays out defensively with Jovan DeWitt, the most recent hire. Ricky Brumfeld from Virginia was, I believe, the first coordinator position that was uh, announced um, a while back, I believe Matt Zenith, uh, Zenith's from on three had that first, but the Ricky Brunfeld from Virginia will take over the special teams, but the latest hire, Jovan DeWitt, um, defensive coordinator spent some time, spent the past few years as special teams coordinator at North Carolina, but also part of that, that UCF connection with, uh, almost said Scott Carr with, with, uh, I mean, almost said, uh, Scott Frost with Scott Carr, that UCF connection there. Um, also hired Greg Austin as the offensive line coach. So multiple people from that UCF staff uh, in terms of success 2016 through 2018 now with FIU and with DeWitt. He's a guy who has a really interesting story, Joe, someone who, who battled cancer and went through you know, the chemo and radiation, and all, all of the, the things that come with that. But uh, a very well-liked guy. And it's another situation, Joe, where, again, when you're able to get assistance from Texas Tech, Virginia, North Carolina and, and other places, the reason I led with the assistant pool is that you're going to think that you have the financial resources to do so. So in terms of the overall commitment that is apparently being you know, made and, and reinvested, I guess is the word I'll use at FIU, seemingly they are living up to their end of the bargain. Now, of course, something I know we'll transition into is <laughs> the head of that situation is, is now no longer there. So we'll see if that plays a factor going forward. Yeah, it's interesting to see the differences in the strategy uh, that FIU is taking in building this staff um, as opposed to like how they built the staff when, when Butch Davis came in. Um, definitely looking for a unique infusion of, of perspectives uh, when you look at like what Jovan DeWitt's done uh, so far in his, his professional career. And you mentioned the uh, types of hardships he's had to overcome. And, and it'll be interesting to see. Um, how those different pieces kind of gel together in the next uh, six months or so as we get ready for the 2022 season. Uh, but uh, for FIU, the the trouble doesn't stop with filling out the coaching staff, unfortunately. Uh, also need a new president. President Mark Rosenberg out at FIU. Uh, he has uh, resigned, looks like. Um, but Eric, we were talking a little bit about this off air um, 
FIU, basically the philosophy that Rosenberg was going to have to, you know, offer some more support to the athletic department uh, with the addition of Scott Carr as the AD. Um, but looks like they are going to have to find a new candidate there uh, in order to better play that role, so to speak. Yeah. And again, for you know anyone listening, you can kind of read upon your own as far as the situation there. But I'm going to talk about it in terms of an athletic realm. Where I think it gets interesting, I wrote about this when Scott Carr made the hire of Mike McIntyre. It seemed for the first time in a while that you had the university president, the athletic director, and the head coach, the arguably the three most powerful people in terms of athletics. Um, and it's probably not arguable. <laughs> I mean, I guess it depends. You know, if this is Duke, then maybe uh, Coach K is the most powerful person. But you get the idea. Um, the most powerful people in athletics moving in the same direction on the same page. And for all intents and purposes, there was no reason to think that Mark Rosenberg would be leaving. He'd spoken even when he addressed the media with the hires of Carr and McIntyre is talking about the future, right? And what a big part he wanted uh, football and specificity and athletics as a whole to be in terms of FIU. So where I think this gets interesting, and we'll have to see what happens, they've appointed an interim president, and I don't think that'll change anything you know, in, in the here and now for FIU and football, but Going forward, you really want to make sure, at least if you're a football fan, if you're an FIU fan, or if you're Scott Carr, Mike McIntyre, that whoever is there has the commitment to athletics. Uh, the reason I mention that, and we can point out various examples across the country, right? Uh, I'll just use this one because I think it's the most recent and probably the one that's going to come to mind the easiest for me to explain. When you look at the differences between UCF and USF in terms of not on the field, right? I mean, some of that stuff in terms of, you know, the team and how good they are, some of that stuff you can't control. However, UCF made a concerted effort to say, hey, we're going to go out there. We're going to finance an on-campus stadium. We're going to finance a, a new basketball arena. And these, I mean, these are 15 years ago, but you get the point. And really invest in terms of the facilities, you know. And I don't, this, I, listen, I know I'm a UCF alum, so I'm not trying to shade USF. But when you look at it, it took USF a long time to even get certain athletic facilities up, right, in terms of football. And they still don't have, you know, a, a covered facility. And you know how that works in, in, in Florida that, when, when you know, you're out there practicing the sun or practicing in, in, in the rain. Sometimes, you know, when you look at your counterpart in Orlando, they've got their own, you know, dome or, or field house, I should say, covered field house. It, it makes a difference, right? So when you look at the the commitment to being both an academic school and athletic school, which USF's former president, Judy Genshaft, uh, there's, you can, she can listen to any South Florida podcast and they'll tell you that she did a lot for the university in terms of academics, but athletically, it was a struggle. That's where I think it's going to be interesting for FIU. And you can say this for many G5s, right? It's not necessarily about being the Harvard of the South. I, we can talk about this ad nauseum, Joe, but you can be both a good academic school and a good athletic school. And quite frankly, the athletics really does do a part to feed into the academic part of things. Absolutely. I mean, if you look at, you know, many of the top, you know, students in the country, I think what you'll find is many of them are athletes too, at least in some regard. Um, and to think they're not, and to think that like the brand exposure that, you know, one good football or basketball season uh, can do for, for your school in terms of, getting the resources to help those academic initiatives is like, it, it's significant. I mean, FGCU is the example that I always point to with like the um, 
Sweet 16 or Elite 8 run they had in, in 2011 or 12. Regardless, the the impact of that one season of basketball success had a huge, huge impact on the number of like enrollments they got. And that was partially because like people were like, who is FGCU? And then they go online, they look at the pretty nice campus they have there down uh, down by Naples, Florida, in between Naples and Fort Myers. But um, yeah, I think your point is like, I think FIU is getting to the point where they are beginning to realize that and, and hopefully whoever they hire uh, to take on that president job full time you know, will offer that support to the athletic department to, again, after seeing how those, those two sides of the university intertwine, um, it seems like they're going to take a step in the right direction here. At least that's my observation. Joe, uh, listen, nothing to add on the FIU thing. You very much undersold FGCU's campus. You said it pretty nice. Dude, they have dorms on a beach. You know that, right? Oh yeah. I, I toured FGCU. I toured FGCU's campus uh several times and my my parents live in lee county i still go to basketball games there occasionally um yeah it's a nice campus um it is (laughs) i don't like i don't know i guess i am kind of numb to to certain things about florida just from spending so much time there but yeah it's pretty nice it's right there on the uh the beach and i forget what that lake is but it's it's nice and you have a cool for little anyone, outlet mall anyone, there too. <laughs> for anyone listening, just Google FGCU on-campus living in dorms. They literally are on a beach. That is, that's enough said. So we can uh, we can transition from there. Times of transition ahead for FIU. Uh, now let's get into some transfer portal and recruiting news. Um, for CUSA, the last couple of weeks have been. Um, very heavy on transition with players transferring in and out of the portal. Um, but for the most part, it seems like CUSA is really doing their part in bringing in some top recruits to play for some, uh, some of these teams. If you look at the top 50 in terms of uh, transfer portal rankings provided by 247, there's four CUSA teams in the top 50. So I think that is a pretty good testament to just how hard some of these teams are hitting the portal. Um, FIU comes in at 50. Western Kentucky is at 49. Um, you know, Liberty, obviously not a CUSA team yet, but they're at number 44. Um, FAU at 40. And uh, the last one is, well, you also have New Mexico State at 25. Uh, and then Southern Miss at 22. So it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see if the, it can even get better, but um, did you have something to say, Eric? Oh, no, I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't mean to cut you. I just was going to say um, you said in the last one, uh, FIU is at 50. So they're the last of the 50. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Correct. Um, but with, I mean, with nine commits for them and for, for Western Kentucky, they're certainly doing their part. And um, I don't know, what do you think that says about the the conference, Eric, in terms of how they've, you know, position themselves in uh, in a new landscape for recruiting here. I think it's interesting. I don't, I don't necessarily know if it is a reflection on the conference per se, but we've talked about this a lot. Which schools are going to take what approach to recruiting? In, in specificity, this year, when you have the 32-man scholarship limit, of course, teams are allowed to sign seven more than usual. That is due to all of the 
things that have happened and transpired due to uh, you know COVID-19 and the eligibility and things of that nature. So you are allowed to sign seven more than normal. And I just think, I, Joe, I just find it really interesting seeing how some of these schools are approaching. Again, we're taping this on 126. We are exactly one week away from signing day. So we do have plenty of time to see the teams, again, as you look at it, you know, uh, FIU, FAU, um, Western Kentucky, Marshall, they have nine transfers. Um, excuse me, FAU has six. Western, F, FIU, and Marshall has nine. Southern Miss has 10. Then you look at some of the other teams there. Even the North Texas has six. I guess they're lower on the ranking scale there. And the rest of the teams not really doing much as far as the way of the portal. UTEP, Charlotte only having one. MTSU, Rice only having two. UAB as well, right? So it's interesting to see the approach that each school is taking. In my mind, Joe, this is what, what I, I've tried to gather. Last year, when I saw Western Kentucky and I saw Texas State sign the bulk of their class from the portal, it struck me as if that means you are in win-now mode, right? And that's not to say that any teams aren't, that at all teams aren't in win-now mode. But if you're going to just completely forego high school recruiting, and Western signed you know, a handful of guys from, from, uh, from high school, Texas State, I believe only signed one or might not have signed one, at, might not have signed any at all. But when you take that approach, you're essentially front-loading your, your roster and saying, like, we've got veteran guys. you got to win now. To flip it to this year, Joe, this is where I think it gets interesting. I talked with Mike McIntyre last week about his approach to this and some of the guys they've signed. And if you look at this, and I've had a chance to break down each school in terms of Marshall and others and how they've done it, but FIU has signed – three guys who have less than two years of eligibility, less than three years of eligibility remaining. And the rest of the guys have gotten from the transfer portal have more than that three or more. And I think that's an interesting approach to see how Southern miss as they're growing their roster. Cause Joe, to pass it back to you on this one of the five schools at the top here, Southern miss and FIU, we can say are in different spaces than in my mind, Western Kentucky, FAU Marshall. FAU is definitely a win now. We know that for a fact. We don't want to get into job speculation talk, but we know that that's win now. Marshall, you'd feel the same way. Western, I think you and I are on the same page, even though I, I think you may feel a little bit of trepidation as far as how they're going to be able to replace some of the guys. I think they can easily go back to the well again and find guys and bring in, you know, we'll talk about a quarterback they brought in um, that puts them just – in win now mode again, whereas Southern Miss and FIU, I think they can afford to maybe get a veteran here or there and see how that feels, but maybe bring a handful of guys home. You know, both Southern Miss and FIU have brought guys who went out of state previously back to their home state. So I think that's an interesting approach to see how you do it. Yeah, I'm particularly intrigued by Southern Miss, as we said, our number 22 right now in the top 50. And nine out of the 10 transfer signees they picked up are from the SEC. Multiple, both from Mississippi State and Ole Miss, uh, one from Arkansas, and they're all on defense, or rather, except for uh, the exception of running back uh, Tylen Knight, um, who was an Ole Miss, uh, is now transferred to Southern Miss. But that is particularly fascinating to me. I know we've seen that defensive unit at Southern Miss pretty decimated by injuries over the last couple of years. So I think with them, there's some uh, some truth to what you said about players just kind of wanting to be closer to home. And I think a lot of people are impressed with the culture change at Southern Miss under Will Hall, even if it hasn't resulted in wins. 
Um, so I'm interested to see what happens with them. Um, in particular, it seems like they've really loaded up on talent in the front seven. When you look at linebacker Dalen Gill coming in from Old Miss, um, you also have an edge rusher coming in from Memphis, who's the one um, the one transfer from outside the SEC, actually, in Jaleel Clemens. You know, Quentin Bivens from Ole Miss. The, the list kind of goes on there. Um, you know, it's probably not going to – it may – I mean, I think it will result in some immediate improvement, but certainly not to the extent that some of these other teams are going to say just because – Southern Miss has a lot of holes to plug, so to speak. But I agree with FIU, or rather your point about FAU in terms of being in win-now mode. And with, you know, Willie Taggart more or less kind of being on the hot seat, at least in the eyes of fans, not a moment too soon. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting. I mean, again, for whatever you want to say about FAU – I think there's, it seems to be a consensus that maybe we overrated their talent coming into the year. You know, we had Shane Marinelli who pinched it for you a few weeks ago when you were getting married. And he mentioned that on the podcast that maybe there was some overrating of the talent, but in talking with people who are around the program, they again, feel comfortable with some of the guys coming in right now. Of course, Joe, what are they going to say? We're not comfortable with the guys coming in. You know, that's the expectation. With that being said, you get a Marvin Scott from Nebraska, a Carter Boatwright from Florida state. You know, I think they got a, a linebacker. I think it's Jal- yeah, Jaleel McCray. Um, it is Jaleel McCray. Yeah, just double checking from uh, from Florida State as well, right? So there are getting guys, as you mentioned, from the Power Five ranks who are coming in ready to go. Hopefully, they're ready to go. That's the key. But I, again, I just think when you, you break down the CUSA teams who are hitting the portal hard, it's just it to me, it's an interesting dichotomy between the ones who clearly, if this doesn't work out right if they have a, a subpar year like as looked at as a disappointment whereas maybe a southern miss or an fiu if they have a, a subpar year it's part of the building process and also again i want to make the point that you know we're a week away from signing day so i'm intrigued to see what teams like middle tennessee do teams like utep teams like rice because rice is like a team joe that you would look at and think okay they need to, first off, need to get a quarterback. They need to hit on a quarterback, and we'll see if they have that there um, this year, you know, in terms of Luke McCaffrey and, and um, oh, man, the kid from Weber State is escaping right now, Constantine. See if, if they have that uh, established, right? But they've also, Joe Rice has been victimized by the transfer portal and grad chances as a whole for the past four or five years. So can they come in, whether it's been Antonio Montero, um, Calvin Anderson, Blaze Aldridge, et cetera? we've seen plenty of guys, you know, unfortunately for rice transfer out. So do they hit the portal and maybe bring in some veteran talent to, um, you know, maybe bolster their roster. I look at UTEP and them losing a guy like Jacob Cowing, right. You know, do they go out and try to get a veteran or, you know, are they going to try to bolster their, their high school recruiting in terms of being the state of Texas? So really interesting to see how this will play out. But again, if you have not taken a look at the transfer portal rankings, definitely go ahead and do so because for the foreseeable future, the next few years, Joe, as I, I've said it, we're looking at the area of college football free agency more or less, right? And and you know what? Before we transition, I want to ask you, because I know you do want to talk about some of the uh, the transfers and, and that have stood out to you, but I want to ask you this, and this is part of my conversation with Mike McIntyre. He said that the way you have to look at, or at least the way he's looking at roster construction now, given the transfer portal, is it's so much more like the NFL in the sense of before, 
you only were going to lose what, Joe? You know, you're going to lose your guys who graduated, and maybe you lose two or three guys who want to transfer back home to different schools. And that wasn't the portal. This is not the existence of the portal. This is just a, a guy who, you know, for whatever reason has to go back home, right? Or go to a different school. Now, mm-hmm. with the portal, not only do you have to re recruit certain guys on your roster, and we've seen this, Joe. Um, I'll posit for fans and listening an article of the top 50 impact transfers. There were four or five guys from Conference USA. Uh, unfortunately for Joe, like three from Western Kentucky, <laughs> Mason Brooks, Mitchell Tinsley, and another who are looked at as impact guys at their next school. So it's not, not only do you have to re recruit the guys on your roster, but also account, say, hey, if I'm a G5 team, I could lose a star receiver. I could lose a star linebacker to a, 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 a P5 team. And then you're going to have guys who are going to just go out there and test the portal for, for better water. So it's a matter of looking at it in the sense of how do I fill, whether it's getting a young guy, do I get a veteran? How many guys do I want to get from the portal? How many do I do a free agency, a district free agency, um, high school recruiting? So it's interesting, Joe, what do you think about that? The concept of this is now very much more roster management in the NFL style. When you look at the roster turnover, you know, when you have rosters 30, 35, 40, 50% of the roster turning over, the, that wasn't the way college football was in, you know, even five, six, seven years ago. You know, it's, there's a few different aspects of that that I want to make sure I, I hit on that I have thoughts on. But and you made a point there about how the transfer portal is making college football a lot more like pro football and to uh, in terms of roster management and and to some extent i think that's true but i also think it's even wilder because in the nfl you know you have guys who sign these contracts and every once in a while yeah you have the guy here and there who comes in and demands a trade or, or demands to get out of a situation and and you know figures that out but more often than not, you at least see players, you know, finish out their contracts, whether that's, you know, three, four years, whatever. In as you mentioned, in college football, you basically have to like re-recruit your roster more or less every year now with this rule, or at least like convince players to stay and continue building and not, uh, you know, go somewhere else. And Sometimes it is a better situation that these players are jumping for. Sometimes it's not. But it isn't just a situation that's going to affect the the G5. I mean, we just saw Georgia lose one of their top uh, receivers to Alabama, which is the team they beat in the national championship. Um, so, I mean, I think it's just a matter of college football coaches now having to think like, like CEOs, right? You can't necessarily like – gone now really is the era – in college football of coaches basically saying, you know, it's my way or the highway. Right. And, you know, I think the, the old, you know, not that it was ever successful, but like the, the Todd Graham style of coaching (laughs) where, you know, you can, you can be this disciplinarian and, you know, expect players to hang on your every word as if you're Nick Saban, but there's only one, there's only one Nick Saban, obviously. So like, at a certain point, you have to make sure that you're creating a culture and creating a program that will be beneficial for these guys for four years. You can't just necessarily say like, oh, we're going to win a lot of games because that isn't necessarily enough. Um, does that make sense? Like in the corporate world, 
people can more or less leave at any time if they get a better offer. And that's that's the case with college football now. If they get a, uh, an offer from another school that's more attractive for any reason, could be NIL, could be more playing time, could be to get closer to home. Again, that's the way every other professional workspace is more or less. So I think it's 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 just going to have to force coaches to think differently. And obviously, not everybody is thrilled about the idea of having to shift this mindset that's been beat into them for decades. But that's where we are. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, right? Because when you say that, a couple of things come to mind. And we'll do a whole separate podcast talking about NIL. You know, a couple of things that I can throw out right now. You look at three NIL deals, which I believe are the highest in Conference USA. Frank Gore Jr. from Southern Miss, Tyrese Chambers, and Rivaldo Fairweather, receiver and tight end respectively from FIU. All three received $40,000 NIL deals. You know, that's a, um, I believe those came from Life Wallet, right? So that in, in, in itself is an interesting conversation because what do all three of those guys have in common? Frank Gore Jr. is from Miami. The other two play in Miami, right? And have connections with certain powers that be that can get them those types of deals. Now, you know, that's not the case if you're in Bowling Green, Kentucky or Murfreesboro, Tennessee um, or, you know, Ruston, Louisiana. I, I just bring that up is to say that's just one aspect of, hey, maybe that gives a guy a little bit more uh, of comfort at said G5 school as opposed to going elsewhere. Not to say that you can't get those deals elsewhere, but it's just a factor. But where I do think it's interesting is you talk about coaches having to adapt. A, it, we're no longer in a time where a coach can just hold your scholarship over your head and say, look, it's my way or the highway or else you don't have this. You know, And it's not to say, because some of the statistics have shown that it's a little over something like 50-something percent. Um, I want to say high 50s of players who've entered the portal who have found new homes elsewhere, right? So clearly it's almost essentially what one and two, one, one and change and two of uh, our two players who are getting scholarships elsewhere. However, it does mean, and this is the reason why I like to liken to free agency in a sense. I, I do think, and maybe you and I feel a bit differently on this, but I do think the group of five schools are going to get hit harder because even you look at UCF, a program that's had a lot of success they lost, you know, a Dylan Gabriel. And, you know, if you want to count that to saying, hey, um, Gus Malzahn comes in and runs a different offense, that's fine. But you can even look at, they lost a linebacker this year. His name is Escaping Me, who went to Florida State. Florida State hasn't been in a program worth a damn over the past five years. But that's just a matter of, you know, hey, bigger platform, more amenities, more resources. And those are always, always going to be the case. Again, you look at a kid like Mitch Tinsley, who had a hell of a year at Western Kentucky, um, was a JUCO guy. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's almost, Joe, and I'll just leave it at this. This has been my philosophy, and I've had many people inside of the recruiting game tell me this, that at the Power 5 level, they can't – there's just too many high school players to recruit, and you're not always going to hit on, on all, all your players, right? You're going to have so many misses, and X amount of those misses are going to end up at the group of five level. And it's essentially going to serve as, hey, they'll go down there and – they'll prove themselves a little bit more like an extended Juco and not, I'm not calling G5 football Juco. I'm just saying for the purposes of this analogy, it, it almost serves as an extended Juco. And then two years later, once they've become Jacob Cowling and are one of the top big play receivers in all college football, Jacob Cowling's an Arizona guy from Maricopa, Arizona. Arizona offers a scholarship. He's coming home. Mitch Tinsley, a guy who started out at Juco, Penn State offers him. He's going to Penn State. So I do think that is something that coaches have to be keenly aware of. 
and you have to account as your players progress and you have a star player it's like hey um do i need to account for the fact that i may lose player x and try to recruit accordingly because of that yeah i don't i don't disagree with any of the points you're making in terms of how coaches need to think about it i think my larger point was that you know just with this new rule i think there are definitely going to be um, everybody just has their own reasons for going anywhere, right? I think that was kind of the reason I made the the Georgia Alabama thing, where like for for that player whose name is escaping me right now, um, it it wasn't necessarily all about wins, um, or it wasn't necessarily all about um, you know being in a situation to win that one national title. And yeah, I, I obviously the way that college football is set up with G fives having you know significantly less chance to uh win titles and and get you know the kind of exposure that p5s get i think there's always going to be players who are uh, going to use the fcs and the g5 as kind of a springboard to that p5 offer like that's that's going to happen as long as this rule's in place like i don't i don't think anybody can really question that but um i think i think the original point i was trying to make was or the original point i wanted to make was i don't know if i actually made it or not uh just everybody's different every athlete develops at a different pace uh some of these guys hit their physical prime at 16 and then start getting worn down with injuries and and that's why you know some of these guys get the big offers immediately and then never really do too much at a p5 level uh you know some of these guys kind of hit their physical prime when they get like 18 19 uh, get those late offers to an FCS or a G5, and then you know they find the right mix of nutrition, training, coaching, what have you, and really get to you know show their talent, and that's why they they get the big offers later in life. So I think that those are the guys that this rule really benefits the most in terms of getting where they really want to go. But then also, I think this rule kind of opens it up to um, just some of these players who maybe have it in their head like I have to go to. I don't know, an Ohio State, a USC, a Penn State, uh, an Alabama, a Georgia, that sort of thing, and then realize, you know what, I'm, I'm, this type of environment is ultimately not where I'm going to be happy, and that's what ends up bringing them back to, you know, some of these smaller schools for whatever reason just seem to fit their personality and their family and their life better, and I think that's, you know, every every school has their role to play in that regard, so. I don't know. That was kind of a ramble, but I think the the gist of what I'm trying to say is there's positives and negatives to this transfer rule. And it's interesting that these G5 pro or these CUSA programs rather that we've talked about have done as good of a job as they have finding, you know, uh, some of these players who went to these big P5 teams and uh, have offered them the route of like, here's a place where you can show off your talent, get film and be happy. And for guys like Mitchell Tinsley, you know, maybe they're at that point where a, a place like Penn state is where they always wanted to be. And how often do you get that opportunity, right? Like you can't turn it down if that's something that you really want out of life. Maybe it turn, maybe it works out. Maybe it doesn't, but I'm never going to fault somebody for taking the chance on themselves. So a lot of, <laughs> a lot of mixed feelings about the transfer portal. I think as, uh, as does everybody right now. Um, but with that, let's jump into some uh, specific impact transfers coming into CUSA. Uh, we mentioned Western Kentucky and the amount of names that they lost. Uh, obviously, Bailey Zappi is off to the NFL. Uh, Mitchell Tinsley is off to Penn State. Jareth Stearns is off to the NFL. Um, and then several 
key uh, defensive players are, are gone for one reason or another. D'Angelo Malone, Jeremy Darwin, Antoine Kincaid, Beanie Bishop. So they've filled a couple major holes in that regard in the last couple of weeks. Uh, Akron receiver Michael Matheson comes in uh, to kind of replace some of the production that they are losing from the the seniors that are leaving, as well as some of the the guys entering the portal. And then the big one, in my opinion, former West Virginia quarterback uh, Jarrett Doge. Um, I believe that's how you pronounce it, like the uh, like the meat. But uh, he's a Lubbock, Texas native, which is interesting considering uh, Zach Kitley left for Texas Tech, which is uh, which is in Lubbock, Texas, and kind of the uh, way that they've made the air raid famous over the last couple of decades and how Western Kentucky seems to be adopting that air raid offensive system now. Uh, but Doge, a 14-12 record at West Virginia uh, through for uh, about 6,500 yards but also through 40 touchdowns and 19 interceptions at West Virginia. I think given his familiarity with a system that throws the ball as much as West Virginia has done the last couple of years, I think he's going to fit in well. Obviously, Kitley being gone, I think, is concerning for Western Kentucky. But when you promote from within with Ben Arbuckle, who has spent as much time with Kitley and in air raid systems as he has, because he was also uh, an assistant under Kitley at Houston Baptist. I think he's as good of a, a choice if you're going to go with an internal hire, which I think is, is good. I think it's a good precedent to set. I think he's as good of a hire as they can have in that regard. And I think the pieces are kind of starting to come together in, you know, assembling an air raid offense that is going to, you know, resemble, not, I don't think it's going to be the same as what they did last year because last year was like an anomaly of anomaly <laughs> in terms of how Zappy broke that record. But I think they're going to be successful again if you're bringing back um, the talent that they are bringing back and you're putting Jarrett Doge in the system where he already has familiarity. Absolutely. So Jarrett Dakey, and it's pronounced Dakey. I, I know I probably have a little more familiarity uh, than you with that name in, in an intricate manner only because former FIU quarterback James Morgan uh, was replaced by Jared Dagey in 2017. But JMO and I got a lot, plenty of time to talk about uh, Jared and, and their relationship. So I, I know it's pronounced uh, Jared Dagey. But in talking about what Western Kentucky is looking to do offensively, Joe, phenomenal fit. Again, I won't rehash old history, but part of what made James Morgan transfer to FIU was because of the fact that Mike Jinks came and ran an air raid system. So you're talking about someone who, from the time he was a true freshman, has been running this system. and I also want to use the James Morgan analogy is to say one of the things, another thing that, you know, you look at his, his career from Bowling Green to FIU. Here's a guy who completed over 60% of his passes at FIU at Bowling Green. He was completing under 50, something like 45.8. That's because certain quarterbacks can fit in that system and certain quarterbacks can't. So the fact that Jared Dagey in his career at Bowling Green competed, completed 64% of his passes. And then you look at his time at Western Kentucky, around the same range, Western Kentucky and West Virginia, around the same range, 65.8 as a, as a junior, a shade over 60 or shade below 64 as a, as a redshirt junior, and then shade over 65 as a senior, right? So someone, Joe, was throwing for over 10,000 yards, 79 touchdowns, 34 picks, and a career of 64% completion percentage, and you get him to run your system? Are you, this is, in my mind, Joe, and we can talk about this later on, you know, after signing day, but I can't think 
of a bigger signing in Conference USA, in my opinion, just to really hammer home how huge this is than Jared Dagey at Western Kentucky. I have, Joe, any concerns that I had about Zach Kittley being gone? And I'm not saying that, oh, man, you can just come in, learn the system for a year, and then Zach Kittley doesn't matter. No, I mean, Zach Kittley is a huge part of that system. But let's not forget that Tyson Helton's also an offensive mind of his own. And I, again, I don't think it was – I made this point when he came there, when Kittley came there last year, and I'll hammer it home now. I don't think this was a one-year thing with Zappi. I think this was the way that Tyson Helton, especially how well it's worked out, I think this is the way that they want to play football. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Tyson Ellen's promoted from within as opposed to going outside of Western Kentucky, people who who were not familiar with that system last year. And having someone who's run it, again, not all air raids are the same, but someone who's played in that system, this is huge. So, I mean, as strongly as I felt about Bailey Zappi coming in and performing well last offseason to this, I feel about Daigie. And, and again, to, again, to kind of give the analogy, when you talked about Bailey Zappi coming in and having thrown for over 10,000 yards and being one of the prolific FC, FCS quarterbacks, I can't a- a- hammer home the numbers again, Joe. Over 10,000 yards passing, 79 TDs, 34 picks. Not to get too sidetracked, Joe, but Jared Daigie's career in terms of why it hasn't worked out, it, it's been mysterious. I, I, the Bowling Green thing I can understand because they weren't winning games. And then once Mike Jenks was fired, new offensive system. But I thought he would come into West Virginia and immediately be the guy he wasn't. Uh, I'm trying to remember who was the guy in 2019, but it, it's been ups and downs for him. But I don't think he'll have any issues coming in and being the man at Western Kentucky year one. And, and look out. It was oh, it was um, Austin Kendall, who, of course, <laughs> came to see USA. Austin Kendall was the guy who, who Jared Daigie competed with at West Virginia in 2019. So six degrees of separation CUSA wise. But uh, again, oh, and Trey, get this. Trey Lowe was also there as well. So if you're a West Virginia quarterback, you're going to end up <laughs> from that roster, end up in CUSA. Martel Petway, I, Joe, I'm just reading the names from, from Sports Reference. So sorry, I'm getting <laughs> sidetracked here. But all of CUSA was apparently on this roster in 2019. But to bring it back to Western Kentucky, um, huge addition. I, I, I expect, I'm not going to say he's going to break records like Zappi did, but expect that offense to pick up, pick up right where they left off last year. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, all all the points you make about Deggy are fantastic. Uh, you know what? There is something that there's something in there about <laughs> the amount of players from that 2019 West Virginia team that are in CUSA. However, considering I am employed by West Virginia University, we'll we'll do that <laughs> off air. But um, yeah. So with it's it's interesting how fickle kind of air raid quarterbacks can be, but it seems like uh, Deggy is a guy who can, you know, fit into a, a system where he feels comfortable and have success. And uh, listen, I think what Tyson Helton is building at Western Kentucky is he has them on an upward trajectory for sure. When I was talking about not being able to replicate last season. I more meant I don't think they're going to break the NCAA record for passing yardage and touchdowns two years in a row. I don't think like I I don't think that's going to happen. But I do think, based on the fact that they are taking a page out of uh, Jeff Trailer's playbook, seemingly and in, in promoting from within and making sure that uh, you know they they create that pathway for coaches. I think that's a very good start, and I think it helps that you are bringing in uh, Ben Arbuckle specifically to coordinate that passing game when he was, he spent so much time around Zach Kittley and, and could see 
the way that he developed Bailey Zappi specifically. Now, with Western Kentucky, keep in mind, they are in a, a somewhat rare position where they're going to have three co-offensive coordinators in 2022. Uh, you're going to have Arbuckle, uh, outside receivers coach Josh Crawford, and then the newly added, uh, somewhat newly added, offensive line coach in uh, Zach Langford. So I will be interested to see how that comes out. However, after seeing how well uh, they ran, you know, the, the passing game specifically and really didn't really incorporate the run game too much in 2021. I'm, ex- I'm interested to see, you know, how much of that control uh, stays with Arbuckle since it was, you know, uh, so much of the, the play calling and whatnot laid with uh, Zach Kitley last year since he was in charge of the passing game. That's the take on Western Kentucky right now in terms of where they are. I think um, they they have added some other names on the uh, on the defense as well. However, I think the the big thing that's interesting about them is uh, just the fact that they were able to find uh, a quarterback so quickly who fits with this very you know unique system. And, uh, you know, it, it shouldn't be hard to recruit receivers for an air raid, in, in my opinion. Um, but uh, I think the other one, uh, they also get a cornerback, Rome Weber, from Wyoming. I think that's a big one. Um, we talked about Vinnie Murphy on the offensive line already. Jalen Hall coming in, a receiver from Western Michigan. And then you're also getting a linebacker from uh, Rice in, in Desmond Baker. So they're, they're filling some of the holes that they need to. Um, it, it's just going to be, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they continue to build that roster and, um, whether, how, how well they can sustain it is a question I have, but only time will, will give me the answer to that question. Then we'll, we'll dive into, uh, real quick, um, Texas tech transfer quarterback, Henry Columbia is going to replace, uh, Grant Wells at Marshall and another air raid guy, obviously Marshall not running the air raid. So it's going to be a question as to whether or not he fits in that system. But if you look at his career at Texas Tech, played in 13 games as a backup, completed 65% of his passes, uh, threw for just over 2,000 yards, had 13 touchdowns, nine interceptions, um, was also at Utah State in 2018 and uh, 2019 prior to that. So a uh, kid that's, that's bounced around a little bit. But the talent's there. So it, it provides a good um a good piece for Charles Huff who i think ultimately the the role that Columbia is going to play in 2022 is he's going to be the buffer before Cole Pennington takes the job right like i i think that's kind of my take on it um i think Pennington is, is going to get that year to kind of develop because the the expectations are so high for him for a number of reasons um but that kind of seems like the big the big thing with Marshall right now in terms of their quarterback room. They have a very talented quarterback room. I don't know in terms especially in terms of the young guys that are coming in from this current recruiting class. Understandably, I think there's some questions about how well they'd be ready to go right away if they just kind of threw them into a, a starting position. So this gives them, you know, an experienced guy to to roll with in 2022 while they get those those young, uh, very talented recruits uh ready to go for 2023. 
Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting, right? So you talk about the uh, the quarterback room, maybe the, the role that Henry Columbia will serve. I do agree. I do think, I mean, he's not going to be a long-term guy. He's only going to have, I believe, a year of eligibility left. Uh, it's interesting. You talk about him being an air raid guy. He's, it's, it's actually not an air raid guy. It, it didn't play in air raid systems because that was the David Yost, Texas Tech era there. So Yost, of course, runs that, uh, that FIE, runs that that up-tempo kind of RPO system. And he actually spent two years with Yost. He was with Yost at Utah State in 2019 and then followed Yost at Texas Tech in 2020. So probably a little bit of a, uh, maybe a more seamless fit than you might think in terms of coming into Marshall and Doing some of the things that they did, you know, being able to um, run the system there, Charles Huff is is gonna is gonna do. And Columbia's also a guy who's by no means is he a runner, but he's athletic enough that he can get out and make plays and use his legs. He's not a quarterback that's gonna finish with negative yardage on the year, right? Of course, that's with sack yardage being accounted for in Conference USA and excuse me in college football. So you got to take that into account there. So uh, I think with Henry Columbia, it'll be interesting to see how he he comes in. But by all means, you know, should be a seamless transition from there to Marshall. I was just going to say, so Columbia seems like a, a decent fit for Marshall, but um, only time's really going to tell in terms of how well he fits into what Charles Huff is trying to do with this young group of quarterbacks behind him. Um, and then to wrap things up, um, I did want to talk about Trey Shropshire. Uh, huge. I don't want to say get since he's staying at UAB, but it's a huge get for UAB. Uh when you look at what UAB was able to do with the play action the last couple of years, this guy was a huge part of it. Uh, 2021 stats, 27 catches for 703 yards and seven touchdowns. Uh, he and Garrett Prince both averaged 20 yards per catch. And while their individual yardage totals were not um, crazy, just the fact that they seemingly always had that in their back pocket. They, they do that ball fake to their, you know, extensive stable of halfbacks. And then uh, both Dylan Hopkins and Tyler Johnston were able to uh, find these guys several times downfield in key situations and uh, ultimately were a big part of the reason why this team was in contention for yet another CUSA West title uh, right up until that big climactic battle with UTSA. Yeah, yeah. You know, I know we're up against it here. It's funny, I led the episode talking about those co-managing editor responsibilities we have. They are hitting us here up against the clock here. But yeah, no, but shot with, with Trey Shropshire. That's one. I swear, Joe, I'm going to try to say that name without bungling it the, the first time. But what I think is it's, it's a tough one for people with heavy tongues like me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. No, what I think is interesting about it for UAB is if you look at that offense, they got to have that big play guy downfield, whether it's Myron Mitchell, Austin Watkins, Kendall Parham, et cetera. Right. So to have Trey Shropshire, someone who clearly can stretch the field, if you look at his yards per catch, he serves a really pivotal role in that UAB offense to get him back out of the portal. Big pickup for, or again, not a pickup, big, um, big re-signing, we'll call it, to keep the free agency vibe, a big re-signing for Bill Clark and company. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I, I talked a little bit about this in an article, but I think if UAB kind of continues on the uh, the path that they're on in terms of retaining talent, as well as recruiting, you know, all, all of this incredible talent from the, the Mid-South, I think they're going to be in a really good spot to not just contend for uh, a CUSA title next year, but I think they're going to be in a really good spot when they get to the American in 2023 as well. So with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up this episode of the CUSA podcast. We will be back uh, very soon with uh, probably our next, one of our next episodes is going to be about national signing day, but um, 
in terms of uh, all the, the new talent coming into the conference, uh, both from the high school ranks as well as the transfer portal. We are definitely not done talking about the transfer portal, uh, which is kind of the theme of college football uh college football internet as of late uh but thank you all so much for listening uh check us out on spotify or apple Podcasts, whatever is uh is more convenient for you all and uh follow us on twitter at joehio underscore at eric c henry underscore and at underdog dynasty uh for the site speed and uh, more g5 football content uh, as often as we can throughout the off season and we prepare for the 2022 season should be fun happy football watching everybody we'll talk to you soon